Martha, Martha, a So Powerful Parable by Dana Buck. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Luke 10, verse 38 through 40. How many of us are so busy that we feel like we can never sit still? And how many of us allow that busyness to define our value? Once upon the distant past, or so the story goes, two sisters start a busy day just up from their repose. Beds are straightened, hair is combed, a fire is brought to life. A kettle hotly sings as bread surrenders to a knife. But breakfast is a hurried thing as banging plates attest. Quite soon this house will fairly burst with long-expected guests. The master and his followers are traveling with zeal to rest within these gracious walls and take their evening meal. Yes, well-known hospitality for those who come and tarry is kindly offered here by Martha and her sister Mary. Those sisters, there is variance in temperament and mood, with Mary often dreamy and Martha prime by home and food. These differences cause quite a stir, as you can well conceive, for one's preferred behavior is the other one's pet peeve. Always humming to herself, young Mary moves about. Her pace of work loads Martha's face with looks of angst and doubt. You know this house won't clean itself, she finally says to Mary. You actually must put to use that dust rag that you carry. The often-made response from Mary isn't long in coming. She merely rolls her eyes and ups the volume of her humming. <laughs> Martha sighs in her frustration, sternly bites her tongue, for this has been the status quo for them since they were young. Father saw at first the frequent tiffs between his girls, surveying Martha's sharp rebukes and rants as they unfurled. His oldest daughter's standards were as high as they could get, surpassing any expectations he would ever set. Martha, Martha, he would say, I have to call you twice, once to stop you working and once to give you my advice. You needn't always labor. Put that broom back where it was. Stop and breathe and smell the flowers like your sister does. Comparisons to Mary just made Martha's temper boil, her not-so-very-hidden sibling rivalry uncoil. In Martha's mind, a competition she would surely lose is side-by-side -side with Mary, waiting for someone to choose. Prettier, more talented, with youthful, flashing eyes, Martha, when compared, felt like the consolation prize. So, in her bleak self-image, Martha's value was reduced to what she could achieve, strive for, deliver, and produce. And piling up the work and deeds as if they were great wealth, she always saved the harshest criticism for herself. With father gone these past five years, she had never known her mother. Her family now was Mary and also Lazarus, her brother. 
The three of them had lived quite simply on the edge of town till Mary met a man who turned their world upside down. Their friendship, unconventional, was odd to say the least, yet Martha saw her sister's joy and happiness increase. She said he'd healed her heart, took sin and condemnation off it, and had maintained steadfastly that this Jesus was a prophet. Invited to their house, Martha had met him face to face and found herself admitting that he was a special case. And yet she kept her distance, kept quite busy as a doer. In truth, she feared that if she paused for long, he'd see right through her. So cordial, always friendly, she would greet him when he'd come, avoiding the deep conversations coveted by some. At times, she'd catch him watching her with kind, inviting eyes. Then flustered, she would mend a shirt, clean up, or bake some pies. Anything, it seemed, to stay dispassionate, reserving. For she'd learned very early how to build a wall called serving. This visit would be different. He was bringing all his mates, which called for cleaning, cooking, extra cups and bowls and plates. Martha cornered Mary with a list of jobs and chores, laundry, peeling vegetables, then mop and sweep the floors. Mary tried to tell her, keep it simple. He won't mind. In his presence, there are greater ways to use our time. No steak and mutton casserole, fondue or cheese souffle can ever be as good as hearing what he has to say. Martha makes a scoffing sound, ignoring Mary's plea, and snaps, you have no clue. That's why it's always up to me. Cover all the details. That's the plan and nothing more. Trust me, he'll want order when he enters through our door. It's our job to ensure that those attending here tonight know comfort and have satisfied their thirsts and appetites. Mary's knowing smile is born of what she understands. I think that all those elements lie in the master's hands. Turning in a huff to clean the rugs down to their threads, Martha doesn't even see her sister's shaking head. So morning becomes afternoon as golden sunlight shimmers and Martha's lips grow tighter as her words with Mary simmer. Yet, could there be some truth in what her sister is insisting? Something she is overlooking? Something she is missing? Mary's way of thinking leaves her questioning and troubled, and in the face of budding doubt, her industry is doubled. She pulled out all the silver to be polished till it shone, scrubbed the floors and nearly wore her fingers to the bone. Cleaning all the cupboards didn't seem to hold her horses, so she revised her menu, adding seven different courses. Tablecloths were mended, kindling wood was cut and stacked, the fireplace was scoured where the soot had turned it black. Countless loaves of bread were baked with salt and flour and yeast. Then all the squeaky hinges on the doors were freshly greased. This Martha free-for-all reached its exhausting aftermath, just as Jesus and his men came walking up the garden path. Hugs and friendly greetings joined the smell of cooking meat, and Mary drew some water so their guests could wash their feet. Martha's hurried welcome was perfunctory at best, it was clear that she was focused, worn, preoccupied, and stressed. Back into the kitchen, she went bustling through the door as guests filled chairs and benches and padded cushions on the floor. 
Jesus sat among them and the conversation slowed as he went back to a story that he'd been sharing on the road. He spoke of singing birds who build their nests with straw and stem and how the loving Father cares and watches over them. And lilies, never toiling in the midst of their display, yet Solomon, so nobly clothed, was not as grand as they. Mary sat enraptured, contemplating every word, when all at once a clearing throat and urgent was heard. Glancing to the kitchen, she saw Martha looking sober. She was adamantly beckoning her sister to come over. Excuse me, Lord, said Mary, who embarrassingly rose while Jesus, with a knowing visage, watches as she goes. In the kitchen where the air is like a Turkish bath, the bubbling pots were nothing when compared to Martha's wrath. How can you just sit there, Martha hissed in her frustration, leaving me to handle all the dinner preparations. Chicken must be marinated, cheese and celery diced, croutons for the soup need toasting, cakes and pastries iced. Gravy simmered for the beef, wine dipped from the kegs, grind and add the red paprika to the deviled eggs. The bread is growing hard while the butter melts upon the shelves. These quail and partridge shish kebabs won't barbecue themselves. <laughs> Out of breath and panting, Martha narrows reddened eyes, while Mary's heart is filled with firm resolve as she replies. All the grain in Egypt, all the fruit and fare in Rome, can't hold a candle to the banquet offered in this home. I don't refer to all the stews and dishes you've prepared, but rather to the feast unrivaled being served out there. Simple water, simple bread. Her eyes began to glisten, available to everyone. They just need stop and listen. People are so thirsty, parched and dry as desert sand. Yet if they drink his water, they will never thirst again. And bread, not loaves of wheat or rye or that of plate or knife, not bread of mill or oven, no, his words, the bread of life. Mary looked upon her sister and love infused her voice. I'm going back inside now and you also have that choice. Lay aside some soup and meat for later, don't be mad. And I promise the most satisfying meal you've ever had. Mary saw the lines in Martha's face grow soft and slack. Her heart was fair to bursting, thinking she had won her back. Then Martha looked around the kitchen, saw the pots and platters, and the siren call of task forced thoughts of yielding to scatter. Go then, Martha muttered, just go back and have your fun, and I'll take care of everything, just like I've always done. She turned then to the piles of peeled potatoes roasting meat, while Mary, sick at heart, resumed her place at Jesus' feet. Martha chopped and diced and stirred and basted, boiled and minced. Her resentment at her sister and at Jesus made her wince. I'm doing this for him. I've worked as hard as I am able, yet he doesn't seem to notice all I'm putting on the table. Thankless, unappreciated, she said now in a huff. No matter what I've ever done, it's never been enough. Well, I'm not going to take it. Not this lady, not this time. I think I'll give that so-called Lord a big piece of my mind. Turning from her work, she nearly fell upon the floor, for there was Jesus, smiling, standing in the kitchen door. 
My, it smells so heavenly in here, he gently said. He took a bit of gravy that he'd put upon some bread. Tasting it, he closed his eyes. My mother cooked like this. When I was small, she'd give a bite and then shoo me with a kiss. Yes, nothing is as special. Nothing I can now think of as something made with excellence and diligence and love. Your home is a delight, so perfect, and your food is too. You put such time and effort into everything you do. Martha felt a small and subtle pause in her aggression as he took another bite with a deliberate expression. But one element is missing, the most key you can employ. Martha, my dear one, that lost ingredient is joy. Struck as if by lightning, Martha felt her body tense and she rallied her indignity to offer her a defense. Mary won't contribute. She just sits there like a whelp why don't you instruct her to at least get up and help? Martha, Martha, he replied, and she began to cry, for no one had addressed her this way since her father died. His voice was low and kind with the authority of kings. You are worried, weighed, and bothered, Martha, by so many things. As for Mary, she has chosen that which I prefer. This better, higher option, it will not be held from her. Besides, my chief concern right now is not what others do. The only thing that matters in this place and time is you. Martha, you are gifted, but you've got things in reverse. It's not the deeds or accomplishments, but you that I love first. And if that's so, then no achievement, milestone, or chore can ever change this simple fact or make me love you more. So start from the presumption that your life is filled with grace. Then let your work and skills and talents cascade from that place. What you do won't really change if you proceed this way. But your heart, that will be different as the night is from the day. The joy that I alluded to that seems to be misplaced, it won't be fake or lost. It'll be shining from your face. Overwhelmed and silent, Martha's anger now was dead, vanquished and consumed by all the things that Jesus said. Your words, she cried, I cherish them. I want them to prevail. Although I fear I may fall short, at times I fear I'll fail. Jesus smiled and dipped his bread adeptly in the stew. I'm not looking for perfection. Authenticity will do. He popped it in his mouth and gave a laugh distinctly warm, then gathered Martha tightly in his strong and folding arms. From that moment forward, Martha's world was very changed. She still worked hard and purposeful, great banquets she arranged, but not from dread or duty, an attempt to measure up. It was a new incentive. It was joy that filled her cup. So, if your efforts make you feel discouraged or forlorn, remember, you're not treasured for your deeds, how you perform. The Savior came to break those chains, dissolve those prison bars. He doesn't long for what you do, but simply who you are. It's so common in our human experience to earn things. We work hard in school, we get good grades. 
We work harder, we get better grades, hopefully. Then into the workplace where paychecks, performance reviews, merit increases in pay, and promotion define our success and value. But as is so true in so much of our experience as Christians, God's ways do not follow the ways of the world. The Bible tells us very clearly in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Our salvation is 100% the result of God's love for us. There's nothing we can do or achieve that will make him love us more. There is so much freedom found in these words. Do you find yourself striving to find favor in the eyes of God or other people? Just take a moment to stop and know that he loves you deeply just for who you are. Then allow the joy of that knowledge to propel you into the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2 verse 10.